Well, hello and welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Nick. I'm Garland. And today we are going to ask the question, did people in the Old Testament times think the world was flat? A riveting question. A riveting question. One that I know you woke up on this Tuesday morning thinking about. It actually came up more recently because there's an NBA player, an all-star actually, who was uh, a proponent of a flat earth. Uh, really? And he went on, he went, went on and on for about a year and a half about it and uh, has since has since come back and said he was wrong. He got into one of those YouTube, like he Rabbit was being, holes. giving suggestions over and over again about how the earth was flat. And uh, he was just mocked league-wide. But he was he dug his heels in for like a year. That's uh, incredible. Kyrie Irving was the basketball player. So anyway, That's nobody, really cares. Nobody, so, nobody cares about that. But, so this uh, is a modern question. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very modern question because of Kyrie. Um, okay, so why would people think that Old Testament people would think the world is flat? Why, was the, why does this question even come up? Well, and what we're going to do is uh, we're going to work through Genesis 1 and just try to draw out what, what I think the text is presenting. But like we've said many times in this, uh, in this podcast, what we need to do is we're going to have to take our 21st century Western post-Darwin, post-Enlightenment, glasses off, as difficult as that is. Uh, we're being told and taught uh, in our classrooms growing up, in textbooks, how the universe works, and we're not saying that's wrong. We have to then we have to take those glasses off, though, when we look at the biblical text, because they're not 21st century, modern, secular people. They're living in uh, ancient Near Eastern world. Uh, the cultures around them are Egypt, Babylon, Mesopotamia, Hittite cultures, and that's the, that's the air they're breathing. And right. so we have to try to get into that air to then look at the text. And when we come at it with 21st century glasses on, we can often, I think, make the text do a dance it's not trying to do. And then it can it falls over and it gets kind of it gets kind of choppy and confused. Sure. And so uh, let's just look at Genesis 1 and present it as uh, as the text is giving us uh, just, just step by step. And so uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, read Genesis 1, 1. Genesis 1, 1 from the NIV. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we might just simply start by saying what we are affirming as Christians is that Yahweh has created the universe. Uh, there is right. a being who is uh, the agent of creation. And the biblical text is going to be really clear all over the place. In fact, it's going to get really cool because we're going to see Jesus is also the agent of this creation by the time we get to our New Testament. So we're not, we're not, uh, we're not suggesting that uh, there's not a creator of the universe. We want to get that out there right off the bat. Uh, the second verse, read verse 2, please. Genesis 1-2. Now the earth was formless and empty... Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we have a, we have a little wordplay, a little rhyme here that's being, uh, that's being translated in the NIV as formless and empty. It's the Hebrew words tohu, and then the vohu means and vohu. So tohu vavohu. Uh, these words are not used together all that often, but oftentimes when they're used, they are used together. So it's not all over the place in the Bible, these two words, and they're often paired. Do you want to make sense of tohu vavohu for the listener? Yeah, I mean, so this this phrase tohu vavohu, you know, the, the translation uh, formless and empty is 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 good. That's not bad. Um, but what one, one of my professors, I was listening back to his lecture. He has a, a great example. There's there's phrases that when they come together, they paint an overall picture. Right. And they're not so much meant to be taken apart and analyzed individually. He gives the example of topsy-turvy. Mm -hmm. um, and so he said, now you can take that apart and go, there's the top and there's the turf. And the idea is it's flipped upside down. But really nobody, when they say topsy-turvy, analyzes it in the pieces. They know topsy-turvy means it's all crazy. And he said, that's similar to what's going on here with formless and empty, is the idea is it's a chaotic mess. Mm -hmm. Like formless and empty just means it's it's a mess. It's 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 
jumbled together, and that seems to be what this phrase means. Yeah, and we might say it's disordered. It's disordered. It's, it's seeking order. And then what we're going to see is in these in this seven day story that we're told. And we've talked about this in other podcasts. The the disordered creation, mm-hmm. this disordered thing is going to have order brought to it by the spirit being that in chapter two, we're going to find out his name is Yahweh. So one of the spirit beings named Yahweh is bringing order to Tohu Vavohu from disorder, we might say. Yep. And let's just draw it out very simply. Uh, chapter one, verse three, and let's, let's look at day one, what we're told. Okay. So Genesis one, three, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. So separation mm-hmm. of day and night. And in the ancient culture, it's really important because that's how we mark time. Yeah. Everything is marked by the rising and the setting of the sun. And so God is giving order, namely we might say time right here. He's yeah. giving day and night to help people understand what's going on. Now, when we look at how this compares with other ancient Near Eastern stories, there's a lot that we could go off on here, but we don't want to uh, because that would get us sidetracked. Sure. But it's it, even from this very beginning thing of God is bringing order by giving day and night, not some kind of cosmic battle every night. God is right. ordering time. So you get the idea of an intentional designer yes. here, not not a, a, a chaotic aftermath, but someone who's going, I'm going to order and structure by design. Yes. And now let's look at day two. All right. Day two. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Okay, so you have to put yourself in the author's shoes. Okay, when you walk outside yep. and you look up, there's this dome thing that looks yeah. like, it looks like we're sitting in a snow globe. It's yeah. really when you go outside on a sunny day and you look up, it looks like there is a, a, like a circular thing above us, a dome above us, and we're under it. And they called that the rakia. And this was the same kind of word that was used for like when a shield would be hammered out, mm-hmm. you would make that rounded shape. That's, mm-hmm. that's what it sounds like. We would call it a snow globe now. Right. When you go stand outside on a sunny day, you look up and you see what looks like a, a top, a, a, ceiling. a ceiling of some kind. They uh-huh. believed that to be a physical structure and there was water up there. How do we know there's water up there? Because water falls from up water there. Water comes down here and it waters the earth. What do we need to survive down here? Water. The water from up there to come down here and water our crops. When we dig down in the ground, what comes up? Oftentimes, water, it comes mm-hmm. out of the ground. So God is separating yet again. He's bringing order now, water up there and water down here. We're just taking the text as it comes. That's God put the water up there that we need and the water down here that we need. It's all we got on day two. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's not get crazy yet. Now day three. (laughs) We'll get crazy later. We'll get crazy later. All right, day three. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Okay, so separation, once again. So the water's below, and this is real, This is way more fun doing it visually. Right. There's water's up above us. We know that because that thing up there has water come out of it. They think there's actually windows up there bringing mm-hmm. that water down called rain. And now the waters below have been separated. And something's been placed in that separation. We call it land, the thing I stand on. Right. So that thing that I stand on, God is bringing order now. And then the rest of day three is God filling that land with the things that we need to live on it. Namely, 
plants that we eat, okay? Pretty, pretty simple. Let's, let's just take the text as it's going. Let's not, let's not be modern people yet, put our modern glasses on yet. Let's just take the text as it presents. Now, day four. Okay, so in day four, uh, we're in verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So notice, we've already had day and night separated. That was day one. Now, the the, the text is making a really pretty radical claim in the ancient world. I actually was thinking about this this morning driving in because the sun was up, but the moon, it was one of those days where the yeah, moon was still both. up. Uh-huh. And uh, I was thinking about the way that ancient people would have interpreted all of this. So ancient Near Eastern people viewed the sun. So think about the sun in Egypt was the, the chief god. It's a ruler. It's a ruler. And in uh, and the stars are different rulers. We can even see this in like all the way back to the Roman culture where that's where we get our planet's names. Mm-hmm. And so these are, these are gods who live up there. And what the biblical author is saying is, no, 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 no. Yahweh has created those. He has placed them there. He has given them a purpose and notice the purpose. They serve to mark our seasons yep. and our festivals. That's what those things do. Times to worship Yahweh. Yeah, those are times to go worship Yahweh as the creator, not things to be worshiped. You with me? So yeah. we, we have to let the text just, we have to just follow the text as it's presented. So up in that uh, dome up there. Yep. God put God has placed those things, and they serve us. Mm-hmm. We don't serve them. Yep. That's the point. Yep. With me? Okay. Yep. Let's keep going. All right. So we're on day five. God said, "Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky." So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So what's really cool is days one, two, and three will correspond to days four, five, and six. One, two, and three is God bringing the, we might say the form mm-hmm. of this of these things. And day four, five, and six is God filling what he's formed in day one, two, and three. And notice they all correspond. Yep. Day one, you get day and night. And then day four, the filling of that, the things that, signify day and night, sun and moon and stars. Uh, day two, separation of waters, the water up there and the water down here. And then what do we get in day five? We put things in those. We fill that with birds and fish. Let's yep. just, we're just taking the text as it's presenting itself. Now look at day six. All right, so day six, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds and the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Let's pause there. So now God fills that land thing he has made. And so uh, we're gonna see in just a moment, he fills it with humans and then he gives them a special job. They are going to reflect Yahweh's glory, not the glory of all these other gods. They're gonna reflect Yahweh's glory alone back into the world. And so what's the picture? If we, if we drew this out, the, the ancient Near Eastern people and the biblical author is taking a very similar point, a very similar cosmology. Mm-hmm. The earth is, I stand on flat land that has waters around it because God separated those waters out. Above me is a, is a solid dome. And above that is where God, 
God and the other Elohim live up there. Mm -hmm. So we might say it's a three-tiered universe. There's the waters below. There is the land where I stand. And then there is the heavens up there. And the highest heaven is where Yahweh is because the higher up you go, the more glory to that being we might say there is. So below us is where people go when they die. So the place of the dead is down there. It became known as Sheol. So if we're drawing this all out, Sheol, the place of the dead is down there. The earth is resting on, the, the psalmist will say, rest on four pillars. And above us is this sky dome thing. And above that is God. That's the ancient Near Eastern cosmology for better or for worse. And so if we answer the question, did people in biblical times think the earth was flat? I think based on even how Genesis talks, how the later psalmist will talk, I think the answer would be yes. Yeah, and that makes us uncomfortable because we want to go to the Bible for truth about the universe. And you're going, well, um, so we know the world is round. On the other side of the world from us is more world that people live on. Right. And so does that mean the Bible's wrong? And I think what we need to be able to do is understand what God is doing when he speaks to people. Um, God is, one language that people use is the idea of accommodation that God is speaking to people in terms that they understand and recognize at the time. Um, We do this as parents all the time. Like my daughter might ask me a question that the intricate details of, she doesn't have the tools to follow yet. So oftentimes what I want to do is I want to give her an answer that is true and right using the labels that she has available to her at her age. Right, And so I'm, I'm teaching her truth, but I'm not teaching her all of the intricacies. So for example, when my daughter asks a question about the world, I might give her an answer that a nuclear physicist would listen and go, you know, that's not technically precisely right. But on another hand, he would go, but you are teaching your daughter truth about mm-hmm. the way the world is in an accurate way, given where she is. And, and you're accommodating to her level of understanding. I think what we can understand is that God is speaking to Israel truth based on their current cosmological understanding. You can picture Moses um, delivering this truth to Israel, standing on the ground and pointing to the vault in the sky and saying, God made that. Mm -hmm. And then pointing to the waters and saying, God made that. And that water that comes up from the ground, God made that too. The point of the truth is, look at the world around as you understand it. God's not interested in correcting their cosmology at this right. point. That's and, not his and purpose. Also, how would they take that? <laughs> yeah, they, would, they, they wouldn't even have a, a category. He, he could, God knew chemical physics. He knew quantum mechanics. He had no interest in trying to teach Moses quantum mechanics. That was not the purpose of Torah. The purpose of the Torah is look at the world around you. God made it. And using, so trust him. Trust yeah. him. And so using the vocabulary they recognized at that time. And so that I think that is the big idea so that our Bible is trustworthy in what it affirms about the universe and not the world around us. Mm-hmm. We, we want to take, this is yet another example, where we want to take the biblical text as it's presented to us. Yep. And sometimes that requires us to uh, set aside uh, some of our presuppositions, our assumptions mm-hmm. before we look at it. And that's, a, that's always needed when reading any text or listening to any person in a conversation, but especially important in the biblical text. And so uh, we hope that this is helpful in bringing some clarity. Any final thoughts? Uh, That's it. We want to trust God's word and seek him uh, in our understanding. Thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity.